0: Hi, everybody. This is Jose Palomino with another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. And today I want to speak directly to you as part of a a series that we'll be doing over the next couple of weeks on a word that often gets treated a little differently in the small and mid-market, and that is the word strategy. And so certainly big companies, corporations, they're all, all they talk about is strategy, their strategy, their go-to-market strategy, their branding strategy, their product development strategy. They have a lot of uh, a currency. That word has a lot of currency in those circles. Yet in over 20 years of providing uh, coaching and consulting for mostly small to mid-market business owners, uh, mostly in B2B, I found that often kind of crossing that chasm of we're going to talk about improving your business. And that requires a strategic perspective. It sometimes gets a little pushback. And I think the reasons for that, as I've thought about this, reflected on it over the years is simply that uh, for a lot of businesses that are a little smaller, the sense of needing a big strategy feels overwhelming and they may have actually brought in uh, strategic consultants in the past Um, I've seen this with small businesses bringing strategy people who have done a lot of work in large companies, and it just feels too big, too much stuff around a 10, 20, 30 person company. Um, So it's not that the owners aren't smart enough to know they need a strategic vision, a strategic direction, but the way it's done is often just too big. And so I want to talk a little bit about that and maybe an approach that could be very useful. So, if you're a leader now listening to this, even if you're a leader in a Fortune 100 company, uh, everything here I think will have great application. But especially if you're in a small to mid-market B2B company, I believe this series of episodes in this podcast will be very useful to you. Uh, so, I'll be trying to do this at least every week, so that over the next um, six or so weeks, we're going to delve into this topic of strategy and make it very relevant in the context of your business, a realistic uh, application to small businesses. And when I say small, I don't mean necessarily one person operations, although it certainly would apply there as well, but you're running a real business with operations, infrastructure, personnel. These are the things that you're concerned about. So let me just describe a little bit about the thought behind business strategy, which surprisingly is a relatively... Newer development in the world of business. Uh, certainly, the idea of mass manufacturing, you know, Henry Ford and so on, all of that came first. But then the idea that a business could think strategically, um, some people believe it really came up with Boston uh, Consulting Group, BCG. Uh, what they came up with is their matrix or their four quadrants. And so you may have been exposed to this in B school, some other seminar, and so on. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I just want to hit on what it tries to do. And it basically says there's four basic spaces you can occupy in any given market, Uh, your products, your services, and so on. So they divide it in four quadrants. So on the on the upper left, right, is the most desired spot. It's they call them stars, right? So you may have heard that term before. Stars, that means they're in a high market growth rate market, a market that's growing fast, and their market share within that market is growing fast. So they're either driving it or they're really significantly uh, making a difference in that market. Again, for a lot of uh, owners in the SMB category, you know, if you're under $100 million, you're probably not owning significant market share in any kind of global market. Most global markets are in many billions of dollars. Even paperclips is probably billions of dollars. But that's the upper left. And then over to the right of that is uh, what they call question marks. And that's where the market's growing, but the relative market share of what you're offering isn't growing as fast as the market. The market's going faster than you are. So it's like, hmm, do we invest in that? Do we spend time and energy in that? Because if, we, if, we, if it's growing, the market's growing, rising tide raises all boats. Why isn't our boat rising at least as fast as the market? If it's not, it could be that your product, your service, your package isn't what the market's looking for. And they're looking for something else, something not you, at least as presently configured. And then right under that in the lower right quadrant is what they call dogs. And this is the market is is a low market growth, or in some cases it could be a market that's atrophying and low relative market share. So you don't have a lot of share in a market that's not growing or that's growing very slowly. So they call those dogs. They're saying, you know, if you were, again, a large company with divisions and products, they'd say, sell it, get rid of the dogs, turn that into some cash on your balance sheet so you could reinvest in your stars or make a decision on your question marks. And then lastly, on the lower left quadrant, they have what they call cash cows. This is where the market is not growing very fast, but you have high relative market share. You're able to command revenue in some degree of margins you can extract value from that market even though the market's kind of stable you are a big player in that market so a good example of this would be something like uh, we see big global example but just so we can illustrate the point would be microsoft with their windows and office offerings those are their cash cows uh, the markets aren't growing, relatively speaking, aren't growing rapidly. It's not the days of expansion where people were just buying their first PCs. Uh, these things are kind of mature markets, right? So that's another term. They're mature markets. Uh, but Microsoft enjoys a very high market share in terms of uh, operating systems and in terms of uh, software for office use, right? So they are the big dog in that, in that area. So it's not a dog. They are the big dog in that space. And so if you look at if you use Microsoft products, you realize there hasn't been significant innovation, at least not to a consumer using the products in a long time. The closest thing is a couple of years ago, uh, it was an ill fated experiment where Microsoft launched launch Windows 8 as an operating system, and the market rejected it. And they said, well, wait a second, we're killing our cash cow. Well, let's not do that. So they went back to Windows 10, which is a lot like Windows 7, which people were comfortable with, and they kept going. So you may have a product, a service, something you're offering that's not exciting. The market's not growing, but you do well in that market. So that's the application to you as a small company. Think of it that way. So your stars would be those things you're selling in markets that you think have headroom and you're actually gaining momentum there. Your question marks might be in markets that have headroom, but you just can't make traction there. So maybe something's missing and and maybe that's an opportunity for investment, but you're not sure yet. So you want to think about that. You may have some products that you've put a lot of energy into and you realize, hmm, we don't make a lot of money on that, but it uses up a lot of our resources. So that could be a service, something you could sell, or in some cases, frankly, something you're better off pricing yourself out of that market. So whatever you are able to salvage in terms of continued revenue from that market or from that offering, uh, at least it's profitable, but you know, it's not your long-term play. And your cash cows might be things that you're not going to put a lot of R&D effort in. You're not going to try to make it any better. You're just happy you have it. It might be a parts business for a machine that uh, is still in operation uh, in certain uh, customers, but it's been replaced by newer technology. But meanwhile, you're able to actually extract profits from that market because it's a cash cow. I mean, literally what the term kind of brings up to mind. So. Think about those things that are stars, things that actually have potential for growth. This is strategic thinking, right? So thinking about, okay, let's take a look at what we got and what we should be putting more effort into, what more energy into. That's one thing. That's just applying the BCG model, right? So again, you could see why for some smaller companies, owner like companies, it feels a little heady, a little complex, not always comfortable to do that, but still relevant to think it through, maybe talk about it with your team. like. If you have a leadership team, play this episode and say, hey, where do we fit in? Or let's break up our different value streams, which is a more common term these days. The things we have, which ones are stars, question marks, cash cows Or outright dogs. After BCG's development, which is about 50 years ago when they came up with this, uh, Dr. Michael Porter at Harvard really, in many ways, he's like the godfather of strategy. Um, he developed in his book, Competitive um Uh, competitive, it was on competitive analysis, competitive strategy. And he uh, came up with something that is called the five forces model. And this one is very heady for a small business, but it's still very relevant to have a snapshot of. The reason it's a little heady is as a small company, you can't do much about any of this, the five forces he calls out. So what are those five forces? Well, one is uh, bargaining power of suppliers, simply saying, Are you able to get good pricing from your suppliers so you could compete better? Or are you such a small relative purchaser, let's say of raw material, steel, something like that, where you can't really negotiate very strongly with your supplier. The price is a price. That's what it is. And so you have to kind of deal with that. That's where the suppliers are very strong relative to you. On the other side is the bargaining power of buyers. Do you find that you are having a hard time getting the pricing you need from your buyers. So what what the five forces model wants to look at is how profitable is a chosen market for your business? How much potential profits are there? So it also looks at a threat of substitute products. So if you sold, uh, let's say, a bookkeeping service 20 years ago, things like QuickBooks and a slew of other similar type products at the time would be a threat of substitute products. In the case of uh, big companies, Fujifilm and Kodak, A threat of substitute products, of course, digital photography, which and then digital cameras, which are big, even 10 years ago, got supplanted in a very substantial way by smartphones. So and then threat of new entrance. That's not a substitute or an alternative. That's actually somebody trying to do what you're doing. They see your success and they say, gee, that's a really good technology for, let's say, testing jet fuel. Uh, We can adapt our offering very easily. So you have. You're always facing new competitors in jet fuel examination tools or something. So that's the idea of threat of new entrants. So you have bargaining power suppliers on one end, bargaining power of buyers, threat of substitute products, things that aren't like yours, but could take the place of yours, including the status quo. People are happy with what they got. and threat of new entrants, usually when you're getting success, you get copycats that want to come in. And then last but not least, in the center of this thing is what's called rivalry or, the, or intensity of the rivalry among competitors. So that's to say, do you have a lot of competitors that you have to fight tooth and nail? Do you find yourself always in a two bid, three bid situation and really being squeezed to win? That's something that is a strategic view of your market of the company you're in. So, So you might say, well, gee, we do one thing this is what our business is, we've grown it to $5 million, it's a service business. Uh, So we're doing all right. And it really doesn't matter what the Porter's Five Forces show, we're gonna be in this business, we're not gonna change from this to becoming a restaurant or doing something alternatively, and we're making a living, and that's fine. So those are some things that are just kind of the big picture why strategy sometimes is hard to get your head wrapped around in a practical way in small business. Now, the last model I'd like to just touch on briefly, and one of my inspirations, and actually one of the authors of this book, uh, very kindly uh, read and actually had some very nice words to say about my book, uh, Value Prop, and, uh, and it's uh, Michael Tracy and Fred Wassmer who wrote Discipline of Market Leaders. And this is a really good book, and this gets down to a little bit more practical insights that I think you can use kind of as a business owner. And basically the, the theme of this, and this book was written probably over 20 years ago, and it's still like a business perennial, it's, it's, it's worth reading. Uh, they postulate that there's three disciplines that you can have in a marketplace if you're competing. Three basic things that people want to see you as. And one, of course, is, uh, you know, we want to see what's called, you know, the the low cost provider, and they call that operational excellence. That means you're always focused on ways to smash cost out of your system. You're always trying to bring the best overall price, a price to value to your customers. And that's, you know, exemplified by companies like Walmart or McDonald's that actually trained consumers like us to bus our own tables. That was a new idea and they figured it out. And so that's operational excellence. You're just really nailing the details and you're always squeezing efficiencies. Now, the challenge for a small company there, that's hard to do. Let me put it in other terms. It's hard to be the low-cost provider unless you can be sure you're the low-cost buyer. You follow that? In other words, if you can't get raw materials, people, et cetera, uh, done cheaper than your competitors, don't try to be the low-cost provider. The second discipline is uh, customer intimacy, which is usually seen as like the best overall total solution. That's They'll adapt. So in retail, that would be Nordstrom's. And consulting firms tend to fall into this category, but some veer away from it and try to be lower cost. Uh, but the idea here is not that price is no object. It's rather that we'll tailor our solution to you. And the third is product leadership, or basically the best overall solution, the Ferrari of solutions, right? So it's, it's something that I know it's a price premium, but it's the best, it's the fastest, it's whatever. So what's really hard to do competitively is try to be all three. And we all wanna be the best customer service, we wanna offer the best overall price, and we wanna offer the best overall uh, actual product experience. And that's really hard to do because what happens is you'll have competitors that will double down on one of those dimensions and be better than you in that dimension. And that will stand out to their buyer. So the whole point of the discipline and market leaders is that you have to make a choice which one of these three disciplines you wanna be known most for. That doesn't mean that you can gouge your customers. It doesn't mean you can give surly customer service. Uh, There are threshold levels. And I'd say these markets now, because of all the enablement that's taking place through the internet and so on, the thresholds have risen in just about every category. People have an expectation of service. They have an expectation of price. They have an expectation of quality that is pretty high across all of them. So it used to be that you could be better in one of these areas by just really investing in that one area, let's say better product. And the others had to be okay. Now they have to be better, better, better. Everything has to be better, but you could still choose which of those three you're going to really focus on that you want to be known for. So big picture, those are kind of three strategic models that people think about uh, when they're planning strategy in big organizations. And I've tried to make the application to you if you're running something that's not a Fortune 500 company, how it might apply to you. And I want to close with this one thought on this episode, and then we'll develop this. And I'm going to share with you a, a model that I think would be really practical for you. Some basic questions that if you answer, you can start shaping a strategy for your your company. Even if you're a $2 million service provider with five people working together, these things will apply. But here's the simple big idea. Strategy, and this would apply if it's a Fortune 100 company or again, that five person engineering firm. Same truth, it's just truth. Strategy is about making the decisions you need to make around people, process, and resource to accomplish your major goals. Now, let me just say that again. It's the decisions you have to make around people, processes, and resources to accomplish your major goals. It's not every decision you have to make around those things because that gets tactical. So, for example, in military terms, we're going to take that city because it gives us a base on the supply lines and so on, uh, or it cuts off our enemy supply lines, for example. That's a strategic decision. Take the city. The tactics are all about how you're going to do that. But you're going to make some big decisions. We're going to deploy uh, you know, this division or this battalion there. We're going to actually Uh, use air power or whatever. And we don't have to stay in military terms, but just to illustrate the point, those are bigger decisions. And then there's a lot of tactical things that flow underneath that. But if you think about it that way, ask yourself this question. Do I actually have a strategy for my business? Do I have, first of all, big goals? Do I have my goals for the next 12 months, for the next 36 months? And we'll talk about goal setting and what goals are really relevant to drive growth. And, and how you can actually set those goals. But what goals do you have? And then what, given those goals, what decisions do you need to make about people, process, and resources? And there's some categories underneath that that actually will help flesh that out. So just think about these things. Hopefully this has been kind of a little bit of a thought-provoking strategy. You all have a strategy. And the question is whether it's a, a strategy, a, a default strategy that you're waiting for stuff to happen, you're doing the best you can, and maybe you're doing all right, or is it very proactive? Again, our tagline for our company, Value Prop, is business growth on purpose. So we're big believers in being intentional. We cannot control the universe. There's something like called chaos theory. There's things, there's variables that are way beyond all of our pay grades. But to the degree you can make decisions around people, process, and resource, you can actually affect the outcomes towards your big goals. So until we get together again, to your success, this has been Jose Palomino, CEO of Value Prop, and your host on Business Growth On Purpose. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth On Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.